I'm going to quickly move on to Paul Stone. <laughs> How many of you have ever heard of Paul Stone? Have you ever heard someone say, I've got a, I've got, I've got a thorn in the flesh? Hey? Now, the misunderstanding concerning Paul Stone has been great. Everyone uses it when it comes to sickness and disease. Isn't that right? It's like, I'm sick and God is uh, giving me the sickness to teach me something. But let's look at a couple of things. First of all, the Cambridge Online Dictionary defines a thorn in your side as someone or something that continually causes problems for you. <laughs> Who does that? Who defined it? The Cambridge Online Dictionary defines a thorn in your side as someone or something that continually causes problems for you. Which means they even know it's an idiom. Looking at the same idiom in the Old Testament, in Numbers 33 verse 55, it says, But if you do not drive out the inhabitants of the land from before you, then those of them you let remain shall be as barbs in your eyes and thorns in your sides, and they shall trouble you in the land where you dwell. Is this talking about sickness? No? Is it talking about sickness? What is this? Romans 12, 2, okay. We've still, we've still, you've got to keep up, brother. <laughs> Someone give the guy a manual. <laughs> All right. Are you with me? That's an Old Testament statement, isn't it? Barbs in the eyes and thorns in the sides. Am I correct? All right. Joshua 23, verse 13. Know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you, but they shall be a snare and a trap for you, a whip on your side and thorns in your eyes. You know how we would say this, guys? They are really becoming a pain in the neck. Isn't that right? There are worse versions of this, which I'm not going to go into. But the reality is, it never ever once means sickness. Does it? Not one time. Every time it means a particular person or people group that is becoming a nuisance. Isn't that right? See, it's very important, guys, because you see, everyone thinks that Paul had some eye disease because he was made blind. Do you guys remember that? Well, let's look at what actually happened. Acts 9, 15, it says, But the Lord said to him, Go, oh, he's talking to Ananias. For the Lord said to Ananias, Go, for he, he, Paul, is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. That's quite a good altar call, eh? <laughs> Get saved today, so God may show you how much you will suffer. That was Paul's altar call. And everyone wants, a, everyone wants a Damascus Road experience, but no one wants a call to suffering. <laughs> hey, yo, it's hectic. Come on, man. It's like, hello, people. You are called, right, to suffer. Did you know that? 
If you, listen, if you, don't want to be, if you don't want to be suffering for the name of Jesus and for the sake of the kingdom, you're in the wrong club. The problem is the returns, are, the returns on your suffering are eternal. Whereas your pleasures temporarily are not. So you can either have temporary pleasure, whatever you think that looks like, and lose forever. Or you can have temporary suffering and gain forever. Which means we need to look at what suffering means. We need to understand what does suffering mean if we want to understand what God is saying about what Paul would suffer. Was he saying he'd suffer sickness and disease? Did God put sickness and disease permanently on any of his prophets? No. Not one of his prophets were given sickness and disease to teach them anything. Isn't that right? So why would God start in the New Testament? Okay, this is, you see how ridiculous this gets. Okay, watch. For I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. Verse 17. So Ananias departed and, entrust, and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, in other words, Paul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. He wasn't blind that long, was he? It didn't take too long for God to get someone there to lay hands. Imagine if God said to Ananias, go and pray for him. And Ananias said, but I can't heal the sick. You do. Or what if Ananias said, yeah, but maybe you've given him this to teach him something. <laughs> maybe I shouldn't pray for him because maybe you're teaching him something. Come on, people. Are you, are you reading the same Bible I am? Yeah. Do you see what's happening? Okay? God wants Paul free. He wants Paul to do his will. Isn't that right? Okay. So now, what does he do? And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose, and he was baptized. And let me ask you, does that mean that Paul got healed? So could Paul see? Was there something wrong with his eyes after that? So otherwise it would have been a half a healing, right? So he got healed. He got full to the Spirit. So he didn't have an eye disease after he got healed. So we have evidence that he got healed, which means there was no eye disease. So the idea that Paul had an eye disease is an absolute farce. And I'll even go into that further just now. So Paul would often speak about his hardships because he was talking about what he was suffering. So let's, let's understand where this thorn in the flesh thing comes from. 1 Corinthians 4, 10 to 13. You're learning something? Yes. Okay, good. You're going to do something with it? Yes. Hallelujah. At least two of you are. Everyone else is like, no, we don't know. Okay, <clears throat> verse 10. We are fools for Christ's sake. See, I told you I'd rather be a fool for Jesus. Good company. <laughs> we are fool for, fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we are in dispute. To the present... Hour. We hunger and thirst, we are purely dressed and buffeted and homeless, and we labor working with our hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world that refuses 
the refuge of all things. So you can see Paul is saying very clearly he knows what suffering is. And not one of these things is going to be sickness. Paul was weak, not sick. Paul was in dispute, not disgraced. Paul was hungry and thirsty. Paul was poor at times. Paul was buffeted, stuck, struck repetitively with violence. Paul was reviled, criticized in an angry and abusive manner. These things have happened to Paul. Isn't that right? No, one of them was sickness and disease. <clears throat> okay, Acts 9, 23, the Jews determined to kill Paul right after his conversion. Acts 9, 26 to 29, he was hindered in joining the Christians. Acts 13, 6 to 12, he was opposed by Satan. Acts 13, 44 to 49, he was opposed by Jews in a mob. Acts 13.50, he was expelled out of Antioch and Phasidia. Acts 14.1-5, he was mobbed and expelled from Iconium. Acts 14.6-9, <clears throat> he led to Lystra and Derbe where he was stoned and left for dead. How many of you would like that? Does it sound like fun? Hello? Yeah, we've got two active people in this audience. It's amazing. Does it sound like fun to get stoned and left for dead? No. But it's a lot of fun to come back from that, isn't it? Guess what? You can't come back from something you're not willing to go through. Acts 19, 8. He was disputing continually with false brethren. Acts 16, 12 to 40. He was beaten and jailed at Philippi. Acts 17, 1 to 10. He was mobbed and expelled from Thessalonica. Acts 17, 10 to 14. He was mobbed and expelled from Berea. Acts 18, 1 to 23, he was mobbed at Corinth. Acts 19, 23 to 31, he was mobbed at Ephesus. Acts 23, Acts 20, verse 3, there was a plot against his life by the Jews. He was seized by the Jews, mobbed, tried in court five times, and suffered other hardships. Clearly, Paul understood suffering. How many of you know running away from people who want to hit you with sticks can be quite tiring? It can leave you exhausted and weak, almost to the point of death. When the scripture talks about infirmities, it is not necessarily talking about sickness. Many people have in mind this because sick people go to the infirmary. Then they must have an infirmity. This is why they get the mistaken idea that this word infirmity means sickness. But upon closer investigation, we find that it does not necessarily mean sickness at all. We will find that infirmity is better translated weakness than sickness. Some translations have, in fact, gone as far as to translate it into weakness rather than infirmities. 2 Corinthians 12, 4-5 says, And he heard things that cannot be told, which man meant unto on behalf of this man, I will not boast, but on behalf, um, but on my own behalf, I will not boast except of my weaknesses. He's not talking about boasting on his sickness. He's talking about boasting in his weaknesses, in his infirmities. Does it make sense? In other words, infirmities as in when he suffered and wasn't strong. When he felt out of his depth. Have you ever felt like you're out of your depth? Ever felt like you can't do this? 
Come on. Have you ever felt it's too much? What's it, Chucks? Ever felt like it's too much? When you're weak, he's strong. What is he saying? When you feel you're out of your depth, then you can know. When you're out of your depth, only then can you know it's his power working for you. See, when, when, when Paul's saying this, I'm going to read this to you just now. When Paul's saying this, we all think it's, that, he's, that God is saying, just put up with it. God is saying, huh, I gave you authority, I gave you power. <laughs> Do something about it. <laughs> Do something about it. Come on. Okay, so 2 Corinthians 12, verse 6 to 7, it says, Though if I wished to boast, I would not be a fool for a while, for I would be speaking the truth, but I refrain from it so that no one may think of me more than he sees in me or hears from me. So to keep me from becoming conceited, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh. Okay? A thorn was given me in the flesh. A messenger of Satan to harass me. Okay. Who gave him a thorn? Is that what everyone says? Ah, that's what the Bible says. Well done. So people say that God gave... Paul the thorn. Isn't that right? But if it's a messenger of Satan, then it came from Satan. So Satan's the one who sent it. And why did Satan send it? Now the word that's translated here for conceited, they, they, what they're trying to say is to stop Paul from becoming proud. Okay? But the word there is very tricky because I've looked at it. It can mean that. It can mean um, famous beyond measure. It can mean popular beyond measure. It can mean boastful and arrogant also because it has the connection to it. All right? But how many of you think that it would be advantageous for the devil to try and stop Paul from preaching a message that is empowering the church to take the, to take the gospel even further than it's ever gone before? Would it be advantageous for the devil to buffet such a one? So Paul is saying, because of all that God has shown me, a thorn has been given me, something that has been sent from the devil to stop me. To stop me from what? To stop me from getting the message out there. To stop me from becoming famous. I'm telling you now, I'm not lying to you when I say I have experienced this very thing. I've experienced this very thing, and it's not sickness and disease. It is, it is the devil stirring up people against the message and trying to shut it down or trying to shut you down so that you don't share this message so that people don't walk in victory. That's why, let me tell you something. I'm gonna, I'm, I'm, please, please hear me. Do not judge any work of God by the amount of people that are there. Judge it by the quality of word that is preached. Because it says in the last days, many will depart the faith. It says in the last days, many will gather teachers that tickle their ears. So sometimes when you're preaching, not all the time, <laughs> when you're preaching the Bible, very often, all the time, 
that's how often <laughs> majority of people don't want to hear it. Because it's easier to hear that ear-tickling message that makes you feel all nice and gooey inside but leaves you powerless than to hear the truth that challenges you to take action and be more than what you ever believed you could be because God has more faith in you than you've ever had in yourself. It's the truth. It's very, very important that you realize that. The only time this tide will turn is when every single one of you sitting here in this room become active in sharing the gospel. Where you can't, where the, where the 20, 30, 40 people cannot be stopped from sharing the gospel with everyone that they, that they meet. My wife was going out and literally just, um, <clears throat> and, and, and running around for a lot of the stuff that we were doing, um, <laughs> preparing to come through, okay? And while she was there, um, sorting out the alignment on the car for making sure that we don't end up, you know, when you, when you drive far, you want to make sure your tires don't wear more than they have to. So make sure you get your alignment done before you go. It's a very good thing to do. So <clears throat> she's speaking to the lady who works there. And <clears throat> while she's talking to her, she starts, God starts giving her insight into this person's life. And she starts sharing what she's learned, even through putting, in, putting together what she's learned in the manual. She's just telling this lady, about different things, about having the mind of God, about all the different things that are happening. And while she's sharing with her, she starts crying. Because <clears throat> she realizes that God is actually speaking to her. And all she was was available. Isn't that amazing? <clears throat> and then, right after that, this lady wants to learn more. Right? And instead of her coming... And joining our little group, she's going to go and help her start a group. Because now we can grow the group with another group. So instead of having one group of six, we can have this group of five and that group of five, which is ten. And guess what? Every one of those people in that group, when they H-O-T... And they share. And someone says, wow, where did you hear this? I want to learn this too. Can I come and join your group? They say, no, no, no. We don't join your group. No. Let me help you start your group. Because true fruit, the true fruit of a tree is a new tree. An orchard of apples. That's the fruit of an apple tree. Not apples. God doesn't want just one little thing. He wants to grow exponentially. Are you ready to grow? At least there are five of you. And that's all we need. The rest of you, don't worry about it. God's got these five. You'll wake up later. Hallelujah. Okay, so watch this. This is important because if you think that God sent a thorn to try and hurt you, then you think God is against you. Isn't that right? How can you trust someone who is stabbing you with thorn bushes? If you had a friend who put a needle in your chair every time you sat down, how long would you stay friends? You would not be friends for long, would you? No, you wouldn't. Because why? Because that's not a friend. Amen? So how can a loving father be the one to be stabbing you in the side all the time? And why would God 
be sending a messenger to buffet Paul and stop him from preaching the gospel when it was God's mandate in the first place that Paul's trying to fulfill? Is God that counterintuitive that he's working against himself just so that Paul doesn't get too much glory? God isn't so worried about glory. Let me tell you, he gave his glory to you. He gave it. If you go out there boasting about yourself for too long, trust me, people will notice and they'll know that you're a joke. You, you can't, you can't, listen. You can claim you're the biggest, best Christian out there and everyone who knows their Bible will know you're a liar. Because the only best Christians out there are those who truly trust God's grace. Not those who boast about how great they are. When you need to boast about how great you are, then you're still trying to earn what God has already given you. That's why there's no boasting except in the finished work of the cross. That's where we boast. Man, and do we boast? <laughs> because it is a good place to boast. Amen? Okay. So we know that this messenger of Satan was sent to buffet him, right? But then Paul goes to God three times, says in verse 8, And I pleaded with the Lord about this, that he should leave me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Okay, what is he saying? Well, then I'll say, Yes, I'm weak, so that he can make me strong. What is God saying? God is not saying, I won't take this away from you. He's saying, Paul, I've given you all the power you need to get rid of it yourself. My grace is sufficient. My power is sufficient. You might feel weak, but I am strong. Now you say, Mark, well, do we have any evidence of that? Yes, we do. We have evidence of that. We'll talk about that later. In Galatians 6, 11, to 18, says this. This is a very classic um, argument for the so-called eye disease of Paul. <clears throat> Many people believe that Paul had an eye disease. In Galatians, he said that he wrote large letters. So let's have a look at that. <clears throat> Galatians 6, 11. See with what large letters I'm writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they might be uh, so that they might not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, thank you Jesus, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Okay, so now watch this. Do you see, do you see what's happening here, guys? Okay, he says, you see with what large letters I have written to you. Now, in the original manuscripts, the letters are not large. He doesn't write a large A and a large B. <laughs> so what does he mean by large letters? Are you thinking with me? He means... The letter is long. The letter is long. The letter is large. In other words, I've written much to you. I've written a large letter to you. Did he write a lot to Galatians? 
Yeah, there's a good couple of chapters in there, isn't there? So if you, if you had to write it out by hand, would you feel that you wrote a large letter? So Paul wasn't writing large letters. And in the originals, there are no large letters. There's no large A and large B and large C. Or the Greek um, characters are not large. Otherwise, they would have carried many heavy scrolls to try and get this letter to the churches. Okay? And if that was the case, Paul would have got someone to write it for him. He had transcribers. He didn't have to write it himself. But he said to them, see with what large letters I'm writing to you with my own hand. He's saying, look, I'm writing this long letter to you with my own hand. Why? Because I care about you. Does it make sense? And many people have interpreted this large letter thing to mean that the letters were actually large. Okay? And they do this because they base it on Galatians 4, 13 to 15, where he says, You know, it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Jesus Christ, or as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. So people go, oh, you see, obviously he must have had a heart and eye disease because, you know, clearly they would have given their eyes for him. And he even says there's a bodily ailment. Well, do you know where Paul was before he got to Galatian? Do you know where he was? He was outside Derby, stoned, left for dead. How would you look after they had stoned you and, left for, and been left for dead? Hey? Would you look weak? Would you look in trouble? Would you? And, and would it be true if you came back from that, that someone would receive you as an angel or even as Christ himself? Because you just came back from the dead. Are you guys with me? Does it make sense what I'm saying to you? So what he's saying is, even though my body was damaged, you know, listen, we can do a test a little bit later. One of you can volunteer. We'll throw a couple of rocks at you and see what it looks like. I promise you, you're going to figure it out. It doesn't look that great. And you know what they do? Once they've stoned you, they drag you out the city and they throw a big rock on your head to make sure you're dead. So your brain pops out. Okay? That's what they do. For Paul to come back from that, is insane. The people received him even as Christ because he came back from the dead. He was murdered and he came back from the dead. And this is why he's saying to them, when I met you, you loved me so much, you were giving me your left kidney. You were giving me your right arm. You would have maimed yourself for me. Do you honestly think he needed new eyes? He was saying, you would have taken out the most precious part of your body and you would have given it to me. That's how much you loved me. That's how much you cared for me. Because watch what his next statement is. It says, for I testify that you, that you, of you, that if possible, you would have gouged your eyes and given them to me. The very next verse says, but have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? Am I right, Pastor Chucks? But have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? 
What's that got to do with gouging out your eyes? He's trying to make a defense. He's saying, guys, do you know when, you were, when I was there, how you received me? You knew how it was. You knew how much you loved me, what you were willing to sacrifice for me. But now because I tell you the truth, are you treating me like an enemy? How many of you have ever been treated like enemies because you told someone the truth? And you did it because you loved them. Isn't that right? Okay, so you can see he's not talking here about sickness and disease. He's not talking here about a big eye disease or something like that. This is all idioms that are being used to explain something completely different. And we okay. So Paul's thorn, number one, it's not a sickness and disease. Okay, it's uh, not an eye disease, clearly. And it's also not some secret sin that Paul was suffering with or dealing with either. Okay, it was clearly a messenger of Satan that was sent to come. And stop Paul from getting the message out. And it's interesting because you'll notice that Paul gets um, imprisoned often. And he gets um, limited in how far he's able to go very often. Based on how these people are per persecuting him and trying to stop him. Because this message of the gospel is so powerful that the enemy can't afford for people to grab hold of it. And today you've got free access to it because of the price that he paid back then. Um, and so it's important that we understand that Paul himself eventually overcame this problem. So Acts 13, 6 to 12, we see a very interesting ca um, case there. When they had gone through the whole island of uh, Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer, a Jewish false prophet, whose name was Bar-Jesus. You know how today we say, um, you can have everything bar this. <laughs> it's like this guy had everything but Jesus, Bar-Jesus. Anyway, so anyway, bar Jesus, who was with the proconsul, Sergius Polis, an intelligent man. This man called for Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elymas, the sorcerer, which is his name by interpretation, opposed them. So this is the same bar Jesus, okay? He opposed them. What did he do? He opposed them. Trying to divert the proconsul from the faith. So Saul, who also is called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, stared at him. What did he do? Have you ever have you ever had someone say something while you're trying to help someone? And they say something and it completely confuses the person you're trying to help? And all you're left with is staring at them. Have you ever had that? Okay. That's exactly what was happening. Right there and then. Saul was sharing the good news of the gospel. And this bar Jesus guy, the sorcerer, came in and was trying to disturb the direction in which they were going. Isn't that right? So what is, I want you to imagine this. Okay, It's very important that you imagine this. There is Paul. He's sharing the gospel with the proconsul. This guy comes in. And tries to once again buffet the message. Right? And he stares at him. What does he say? And, 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 it, and it says, And said, You son of the devil. You messenger of Satan. Enemy of all righteousness. Full of deceit and of all fraud. Will you not cease perverting the right ways of the Lord. Now look, 
The hand of the Lord is against you, and you shall be blind, not seeing the sun for a time. And immediately a mist and darkness fell on him, and he went about seeking someone to lead him by the hand. What just happened? Yes, Paul saw him as a messenger of Satan. And Paul realized that when he was weak, there's nothing he could do about it. The power God had given him could do something about it. And what did he do? Made the guy blind. If you have authority to use something or over something, you have authority to take it and to give it away. Isn't that right? If, if I have authority over my, my children or whatever, then I can tell them to do something or not to do something. Isn't that right? So yeah, Saul had authority, or Paul, had authority to make this guy blind or to take the blindness away. Isn't that right? What was the outcome? When the pro-council saw what had happened, he believed and he was astonished at the doctrine of the Lord. They all got saved. So did Paul overcome this thorn in the side? Because what was the thorn in the side? A messenger of Satan. Sent to buffet him. Because of the revelations that he'd received. And yeah, He's sharing those revelations. Someone comes into the room and tries to disturb the truth. And he deals with this person, not in his own strength, but in the strength of the Lord. Come on. It's good to see that even Paul grew up. Hey, isn't it amazing? It's good to see that even Paul grew up. The truth is, Paul took authority in the situation. You have been given the grace to take authority in the situation. Yeah, is the thing. You are here for the purposes of the gospel and of the kingdom of God. And every resource is yours for the purposes that God wants done. So if God is for you, no one can be against you, even if they want to be. Because they're against God. Do you want to oppose God? you want to get in His way? You've got problems, man. So you first find out what God wants to do, then you agree with Him, and then you make sure it gets done. And anyone who gets in your way, you deal with Him. Come on! They're either going to become obedient and get the things of the Lord done, or they're going to get out of the way. Amen? They're either going to be removed, and someone else will be coming in their estate that will get it done. Come on! We saw that we have to begin to understand that we are already the owners of everything. Listen, the world is currently using what belongs to you. Do you know that? The world is just using what, they're just, they're just occupying what belongs to you. This is already yours. It belongs to Jesus. He bought it with blood. There is no rands or cents that can quantify what he bought this with. It already belongs to him. The gold is his. The silver is his. The technology is his. Everything is his. If he wants to use something for his purposes, 
there is by no means any way that it won't be used for His purposes, except that you doubt that it should be used by His purposes. Does it make sense? Okay. So we can see very clearly that Paul did not struggle with sickness and disease. Now, let's say that I'm wrong. Let's say Paul did suffer with sickness and disease and that this thorn was a sickness, which it wasn't. But let's say, for argument's sake, you still want to believe that. The truth remains, Paul is not your example. Jesus is. And Jesus was never sick. And so even if Paul fell short of the standard that Jesus gave us, Paul is not your standard. Jesus is. And so even if you thought and you want to continue to believe that, you can't accept that as your standard. Because it's not the standard Jesus gave us. Jesus gave us His standard. A better standard even than what Paul lived at. Amen? Does it make sense? But I can tell you now from what I've studied out, I'm, I'm, I'm at least 100% convinced <laughs> that there was no sickness and disease and that this messenger was sent to slow down the gospel because the devil was very, very afraid. Very, very afraid. Now some people, you know, in the area of healing will come up with another excuse. Their excuse will be, but what about Timothy's stomach? You know, Paul left Timothy um, and he said to him, you know, take some wine for your stomach um, so that you don't have to get sick anymore. Because you see, that's like medicine. So, you know, it's fine to just take medicine. You don't have to go to God with everything. Have you ever heard that? Well, let me tell you something. Telling someone to put wine in their water or to drink a little wine for their stomach and calling that medicine is the same as telling someone that sniffing garlic will take away flu. Right? Sniffing garlic will take away flu. Or, or do you understand? Or boiling your water will clean it. Is that medicine? If I say to you, boil the water before you drink it. Am I giving you medical advice? Or am I just giving you good common sense advice? Alright, so yeah, watch this. In 1 Timothy 5.23 it says, No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. So, what was happening? Timothy was drinking water, and the water was making him feel ill. If you've ever been to India, you'll know what that feels like. Anyone ever been to India? You know what, have you seen people and how they feel after they have the water there? A lot of the time when you go to a foreign place and you drink the water there, it doesn't necessarily um, agree with your system because the water is different. You know, you get used to the water you drink from a certain area. And so when someone else comes and drinks that water, you think it's perfectly fine, but your body has built up immunity against it and theirs hasn't. And so then they don't feel that great. All right. And Timothy was obviously struggling with his stomach. And so Paul says to him, listen, no longer drink only water. Saying, don't just drink water plain. Put some wine in the water so that the wine can kill the bacteria in the water. And you won't have this frequent stomach problem anymore. Sound like medicine? Or just some good advice? You see, back then, it cost more money to boil water than it did to put some wine in the water. 
Because back then they didn't have ways of heating or boiling water the way that we do now. They had to make a whole fire, get firewood, and all that kind of thing. Does it make sense? Okay, hopefully you're following me on this because it's a proven fact scientifically that wine kills bacteria in water. So if you're ever on a, little, on a trip to India and you end up having a little bit of a bug, then a little bit of wine will actually kill the, the bug and stop the thing from running around your stomach. Great advice, huh? Yeah, it's not for getting drunk on. It's not an excuse to go crazy, okay? That's not what Paul was saying. So clearly, Timothy's stomach was clearly not about him having medical treatment. It was about him avoiding repeating the cycle of having um, sickness attack him over and over again. Isn't that right? If I said to you, the water is bad, don't drink it, then am, am I giving you medical advice or am I giving you common sense advice? Right, okay, so you guys following so far, you understand. So Timothy's stomach has got nothing to do with him not being able to get healed because he could have got healed and then got sick again. Right? He could have got healed and got sick again, got healed and got sick again. Why? Because every time he got prayer, he got better, then he drank the water, got sick again. And you know what we'd say today? Why, God, are you letting this thing come back? But when you go to the doctor and you, and you get some antibiotics and you come off your flu and the next year you get the flu again, you don't run back to the doctor and say, I want my money, my money back because the flu's back again. Isn't that interesting? If you do the same thing you did before to get yourself in the trouble you were in before, then even though God has delivered you from the trouble, you can get into trouble again. But you don't have to live there. Is that right? You don't have to live there. You can stop putting yourself in trouble. And you know what? Here's the good news. God never gets tired of setting you free. But you get tired of believing that He can. That's why it becomes harder and harder. Because you become convinced that God's done with you when He's never done with you. God never gives up on you. Ever. I don't care how bad you think you've been. I don't, think, I don't care what miserable thing you think you've done. God loves you and He wants you to come home. He wants you to be His. And those of you who are His, He wants you to walk in His kingdom as sons and daughters demonstrating His kingdom. He doesn't want you sidetracked and distracted with all these limiting beliefs that stop you from enjoying the fullness that He has for you. God is not giving you a thorn in the side. Only the devil can do that. And He's given you, God has given you the power to overcome that thorn. Amen? So you don't have to worry about that. Amen? Thank you for joining us for today's podcast. It is our hope that you found this information helpful and useful in your walk with Christ. Hands on Biblical Healing is a training that is designed to help ordinary believers walk out the plan of God in their lives regarding divine healing for others and divine health for themselves. Please be sure to join us for future episodes. Have a wonderful day.